Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And once you are able, uh, for those who are here in person, and if you're comfortable doing this at home, we ask that you please stand as able for the reading of God's word. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word today. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We have begun this sermon series where we are talking about how we can become whole in Christ. And a couple of weeks ago, I put this uh, picture up of, uh, this is a scene from The Notebook where Ryan Gosling's character is asking, what do you want? What do you want? And uh, I asked you this question before, uh, and, and I promised I would ask it again because it's an important question. And, and I put in parentheses, what do you really want? Because I do recognize there is a difference between what we may want in the moment. You know, maybe you're like really hungry, you know, or you just feel like taking a nap, you know. But sometimes if you feel like taking a nap, maybe that's actually not the best thing to do because you've got this big project due or you have an exam the next day or you have all this stuff for work that you have to get done, you know. And so taking a nap, even though there's a part of you that's like, let's take a nap, you're like, oh, no, I can't do that. You know, and friends, maybe you already know this, but you have probably found in your life that there are times when doing what we want in the moment doesn't give us what we actually really want. And there is a disconnect between what we often do and what we really truly want. And I think oftentimes what we talk about uh, in church context, we are talking about some of the deeper things. I think we do want to be whole people. You know, we want a lot of the things that we often talk about. You know, peace that passes all understanding. We want love and connection. We want to know that we're not alone in this world. We want to know that we are living for a greater purpose, right? But a lot of the things that we often end up doing day to day are actually not helping us do that, right? And so that's a very curious thing, I think. And maybe you might be wondering, like, okay, well, Pastor Steve, we just read a story about the Tower of Babel, you know, or Babel. And what in the world does that have to do with becoming whole people? And I've got to tell you that I've been looking forward to this message in particular. I've been planning for it for about a month. And, and you might be thinking like, oh, this is just kind of a throwaway story. It's just kind of this myth about how like all languages got mixed up and things like that. But I think there are some deeper things that um, can speak to 
our modern condition. Because what you see in this story was that there's a group of people that basically gathered and uh, because they spoke one language, uh, just many, many people were gathering in one place together. And, and what you find is that this is a story in many ways about technology. You're like, yeah, but Pastor Steve, like, you know, technology back then, like, okay, well, it was technology appropriate to their time, right? And so they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them together thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Uh, Bitumen is actually just asphalt, uh, like an ancient form of asphalt. And so basically what this was, was this technology that they didn't have before, right? Where they could build buildings, you know, like maybe you would try to, you know, kind of put sticks together or whatever, and that wouldn't be very effective. But if you took brick and mortar and, and asphalt and these different things, you could actually create a structure that was quite big. And that's exactly what the people did, right? And so they have this new technology, and they're building it. And, and so they say, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And so they're deciding to just kind of keep building, right? And it just keeps going, and it keeps getting higher and higher and higher and higher. And one of the things that I was told like when I was in Sunday school, or at least this is what I remember. I don't know if they actually taught me this, but I was told that God basically, like, you know, um, disperses them, you know, and, and I think in my imagination, reading it back, I was actually kind of surprised that I thought God destroyed the tower, you know, kind of like Godzilla style, just, ah, you know, but it's actually not in there. Anyone else, like, learned that in Sunday school? You thought God actually destroyed the tower? Well, it just kind of seems like it doesn't get finished, Right, But one of the things that I had heard in Sunday school was the reason why God did this was because he was afraid that the humans would come up into heaven. Right, This is a little bit of a misunderstanding of uh, some of the words that are used here. It says that let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. But in the ancient world, um, heavens, it, it can mean sky, right? It can just mean like what's up there. And of course, like when people looked up, you know, and they're like, where is God? Well, where would he be? Like, oh, in the heavens, right? And so a heaven has become kind of our shorthand for the realm of God, right? It's not necessarily up there, right? But what it's just saying is actually that because they had this new technology, they just could create like a much bigger structure than ever before, right? This is maybe possibly the world's first skyscraper, right? And it's just gets so high that the top is in the heavens. I think what that means is that it got so high that when you would look up, like you couldn't even see the top because of the clouds, right? And so this was so immensely big, right? And so it's very interesting that the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people, and they all have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And so God ends up dispersing them, right? He, he makes them stop building the tower, right? And so some of us might be asking why. 
Okay, so even if you, you believe that kind of like Sunday school version, that, you know, <laughs> that, that they thought that they could actually go to heaven, I don't think that's what was happening. I think they were just like building this tower, and they're like, man, this is so cool. Let's just keep building it, right? L- l- notice what they said. Let us make a name for ourselves. What does that mean, to make a name for yourself? You ever see people who like, you know, they put their names on buildings, right? Like, 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 uh, It's a way of being remembered, a way of being legendary, a way of living beyond yourself. And for many people, they're like, okay, well, you know, what am I going to do in this life? I want to be remembered, right? So, yo, let's just do something memorable. Let's just keep building, right? Let's make the biggest tower anyone's ever seen, right? And they're doing this, and they're doing this, and they're doing this. And so it's not that God is afraid that they're going to come into heaven. This is what I thought, that somehow like in the tower, they look around and they see God and God's like, oh, what are you doing here? Like, that's not, that's not what's going on, right? But notice what he says. God says, this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. In other words, there's a warning here. God is like, they don't know what they're doing right now. I mean, for one, what if they kept building that tower, right? And all these people are living in it, and they're just so excited about building it. And who knows? Maybe it's structurally unsound. I don't know what the engineers were like back in the ancient times, but maybe they didn't understand, you know, the stress that would be on a tower as it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And maybe at some point, all the people would die, right? Because the tower would topple. It would be this huge catastrophe, right? But there seems to be a conflict between God saying, what is wise? And the way that I would actually want you to live and what the people want to do. Because the way the people want to live is they just want more and more and more and better and better and better and better. Hey, if we can do it, let's just do it, right? And God seems to be saying, they don't know what they're doing. Does this sound familiar? Right? I told you, this is a story about technology. Right? Because in many ways, that's the story of technology for us, even in modern times. Right? We do things because we can. And we don't often ask, should we? Right? Or what would, would God want us to do? And so uh, many of you guys may know who this is, J. Robert Oppenheimer. He was the head of the Manhattan Project. And they ended up creating the first atomic bomb. And when they, uh, when they did it, uh, basically, um, they, they, they had this test in July 16th, 1945. And um, so there's this humongous mushroom cloud in uh, the New Mexico desert, right? It was called the Trinity Test Site. And when this went off, uh, somebody said that Oppenheimer, his reaction was, he said, we did it. Makes sense, right? Wouldn't you say that as a scientist? You've been trying to do this thing. You're like, hey, theoretically, we can make this thing, which can create a huge explosion, like nothing we've ever seen creates so much power, right? And they do it, and his first reaction was, we did it. Wow, we didn't know we could do that, right? And later, when, when reflecting on it, on what happened that day on July 16, 1945, J. Robert Oppenheimer, after that initial, hey, we did it, he said, I remember the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. Can you just imagine 
Oppenheimer looking at this huge mushroom cloud in, in the desert. And at some point, he's like, whoa, whoa, we did it. Oh, my gosh, we didn't even know. Right? And then as it's just blooming and the intensity of it, and he's like, wait, 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 wait. What did we just do? What did we just do? Not even a month later, not even a month later, the United States drops an atomic bomb on Hiroshima, instantly killing 80,000 people. Right? August 6th, 1945. Three days later, they drop a second bomb on Nagasaki, killing, I think, about 20,000 people. Or maybe it was 40,000 people. It was a lot of people. And tens of thousands of people died from the radiation afterwards. Right? Now, I'm not here to debate whether or not that was necessary to end the war, right? Like, there, there are some people who, even Oppenheimer, wasn't quite sure on that. But what Oppenheimer did spend a lot of his life doing was trying to undo this, trying to put the genie back in the bottle and saying, like, whoa, 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 we haven't thought this through, right? Have you thought of a world with nuclear weapons, right? Have you thought what we could do with that? And this is often what happens with us. Uh, So, friends, you might think uh, I'm I'm talking about something just historical or something just very dramatic, but this is the way it works with technology. For many of us, we have this, this assumption, this way of looking at technology where we assume that it's always good. Hey, if you can do more, right, if you can have better, right, why not do it? Right? Like, hey, you can get some bombs and like they're pretty powerful, but we can create the most powerful bomb. Why wouldn't we do it? Then the United States would be the most powerful force on earth, right? Why wouldn't we want that? Right? And and so obviously we, we realize now that there, there are many reasons why we should have maybe have thought about that a little bit more before rushing into using it, right? But, friends, I think that that is the way with a lot of our technology. And there's a book that I've been reading recently. Um, It's called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. And just to me, uh, this book has been um, really, uh, it's one of those books that, like, I I read a lot of books, by the way. Like, mostly, like, listen to audio books. Um, I, I listen to them while I'm, like, doing the dishes and while I'm driving and while I'm walking. And, and so I go through many, many books. And a lot of them are pretty forgettable. This book uh, I found a couple weeks ago, and I've already read it twice, and I bought the physical copy. <laughs> I just want you to know, this book has really kind of impacted me a lot. And one of the things that Cal Newport does is he's trying to challenge this assumption that we have that you know technology, that it should just always be adopted, right? If it has any benefit, why not add it to your life? Right? That's what he would call maximalism, right? So if you can have more, if you can have better, like bring it on, right? That's the way most of us think of things, right? And we think of things like our phones and we think of apps and we think of all these different things. You're like, oh, what does that app do? Like, oh, well, it's fun. You know, it's this game. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, that sounds fun. Why don't I do it? Right? And we don't really think about the cost of that. And we're not really asking the question that I asked you at the beginning of this message. What do you really want? And is technology, and are the things that you're actually doing leading to that better life or the life that you actually want? Um, so one of the things that's very interesting 
is that, you know, we have this technology now that has become almost ubiquitous for us, right? We use it all the time. We, many of us have used it several times during the message, right? We even had like the digital bulletin and things like that. And, and there's a lot of things that are made very, very, very convenient by the phone. But friends, let's be honest. It's had some drawbacks, hasn't it? Right? Let's be honest. One of the things that people have found is that in about 2011, uh, many school counselors were reporting that they were seeing massive influxes of kids who were having uh, a, a lot of mental issues. Uh, and mental illness seemed to spike right about 2011. And so, uh, and, and particularly in one area that was actually especially kind of rare amongst younger people. And with younger people, there's all kinds of issues. Of course, there have been issues in the past, you know, uh, ADHD, depression, you know, family issues, uh, all kinds of stuff that people would see, counselors would see. But one issue that just took a huge spike in about 2011 was anxiety. And anxiety disorders have become the most uh, uh, common uh, diagnosable uh, mental disorders in the world by far. And they have risen very sharply. And of course, since the pandemic, I mean, this is pretty well known, they've taken off even more, right? And it's become almost an epidemic, right? And so when you ask counselors and when you ask researchers, what is the reason for this, right? I mean, you could come up with lots of reasons. They're like, oh, well, school, it's just getting so intense, right? Like, it's just getting so, like, just the demands of modern life. And, you know, there's these different things that are happening in the world. You know, the kids look around and they see the world. Like, friends, those things have always existed, right? There's always been school pressure. There's always been uh, things like, uh, you know, different wars and different uh, terrible things that happen in the world. I'm not saying that those things don't spike our anxiety, but nothing like what we saw in 2011, where it just took off. And what most people say is, honestly, the most common denominator, the, the most obvious thing is cell phone use. And how ubiquitous, not just cell phones, but smartphones being connected to the internet all the time, right? And it's one of the things that I, I know for a lot of kids, man, like, like uh, you know, with our kids, um, we, you know, we told them, hey, you can't get a phone until a certain age. And I know some kids are like, man, I can't wait to get a phone. I can't wait to get a phone. I can't wait to get a phone. And, you know, I got to say, um, there are some things that I, I wonder if we knew we were getting when we got the phones. So in 2007, uh, it's kind of interesting, when Steve Jobs first introduced the iPhone, um, he had this keynote thing where he s- took the first eight minutes of this talk introducing the iPhone to talk about what? What do you think he talked about? First eight minutes, the key feature of the phone, right? So he kind of talked about two things uh, throughout most of his presentation. One was making calls. <laughs> he just talked about how good of a phone it was, how comfortable it was to hold. And one of the main things he talked about was the integration of your music into a phone. That it was, and see, he called it an iPod that could make phone calls. It was only at the very end where he mentioned, like, yeah, you can connect to the internet, right? And it was just kind of an afterthought. You know, text messaging already existed. But yes, text messaging would become easier, right? All of these things were an afterthought. And so one of the things that Cal Newport uh, wrote was, you know, uh, just kind of thinking through, like, you know, this technology and, and just how wonderful it was supposed to be, you know, 
He said that a first adopter who picked up an iPhone for the music features would be less enthusiastic if told, if told within a decade he could expect to compulsively check the device 85 times a day. Which, by the way, uh, this book was published in, I think, uh, 2019. So 85 times a day, I think that's low. I think it's actually higher than 85 times a day. A feature we know Steve Jobs never considered as he prepared his famous keynote. These changes crept up on us and happened fast before we had a chance to step back and ask what we really wanted out of the rapid advances of the past decade. We added new experiences to the periphery of uh, of to the periphery of our lives for minor reasons then woke up one morning to discover that they had colonized the core of our daily life. We didn't, in other words, sign up for the digital world in which we are currently entrenched. We seem to have stumbled backward into it. So friends, do you understand why I mentioned the thing about Oppenheimer, right? And how like, you know, scientists just kind of created this thing and really didn't know what they were unleashing. And in many ways, I think this technology, which it's no one's fault. I mean, I'm going to still use my iPhone. Like, please make no mistake. But I think there is something in this that we need to ask questions that we don't normally ask, right? Which is, is this actually what we really want? To be like checking our phones all the time, right? This kind of like compulsively checking your phone. This is something that I realized for myself, especially when I'm stressed, especially when I'm anxious, like, man, my phone just comes out. If there's any moment where there's just, like, like nothing going on, no one's talking, right? There's just silence. Like, seriously, there are times where I'm looking at my phone and I'm like, I don't remember turning this on. I literally don't remember turning this on. How did this happen, right? Anyone, can anyone relate? Yeah? Yeah, right? It, it's, it's become a compulsion, right? And there's something in this where <laughs> this is not really what it was supposed to be. And so I have this, 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 this picture here um, where, uh, yeah, oh, okay. So basically, you know, uh, uh, Cal Newport mentions, he, he says, we, we become uneasy. I think many people have become uneasy with how much they use their phones, right? If you ask most people, do you think you use your phone too much? Right? Probably most people are like, yeah, I, I use it too much. And so this is what Cal Newport says. He says, the source of our unease only becomes visible when confronting the thicker reality of how these technologies have managed to expand beyond the minor roles for which we initially adopted them. Increasingly, they dictate how we behave, and how we feel, and somehow coerce us to use them more than we think is healthy, often at the expense of activities we find more valuable. What's making us uncomfortable, in other words, is the feeling of losing control. There are people who maybe, you know, want to spend time with their kids, you know, and their kids are like, hey, mommy, daddy, let me show you this art project I made, or let me do a cartwheel. And you're sitting there on your phone, and you're checking your work email, right? Or you're, you're browsing the scores from some thing, and, and like, like you're just absorbed in it. So it, it's not like you mean to ignore your kids, but you're like, yeah, yeah, hold on a second, hold on a second, honey. Uh, yeah, that's great, that's great, right? And it's like, is that what we really want? Is that what we really want? Would we want to be, you know, for instance, for parents, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, to be that kind of parent who's like, no, 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 I'm listening to you. All my attention is on you, right? This, this little black thing, it doesn't matter, right? I am focused on you, 
right? Like, that's so cool. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. You know, what is it we really want? And friends, there's another thing too, is this idea that, that it's kind of compulsive, right? We're somehow being coerced to use these things. One of the things is that it's not actually um, just about self-control. Sometimes we hear these kinds of messages, right? And we all kind of hang our heads and we're like, yeah, Pastor Steve, I wish I had more self-control. Yeah, you know, I shouldn't be so addicted to my phone. It's like, what about like with somebody who has like cigarettes or something like that? Are, are we, like, like we've learned enough about cigarettes and we've le- learned enough about human chemistry, right, and addiction, that we don't just look at people who are addicted to cigarettes and we're like, what's wrong with you? Stop. Self-control. Right? We realize that the cigarettes actually have an addictive quality. right? And what they're finding, it's also true of our cell phones. They have been designed this way. Maybe that's not the way Steve Jobs uh, envisioned it. But sooner or later, people realize that they could make money and not, I'm not talking just a little bit of money, lots and lots and lots of money by you sitting there mindlessly paying attention to the screen and not your life, right? It's actually by design, you know? And so in many ways, your phone, uh, I, this is not an original thought. There are people who have worked on a lot of these technologies and they're like, this is a digital slot machine, Right? So, like, just think about uh, uh, something like uh, a social network, Instagram or Facebook, getting a like, right? So, what, what people know in human psychology is if you can provide a reward, but provide it inconsistently, you don't know exactly when you're going to get it, it's way more addictive, right? So, like a slot machine, you know, you keep pulling the handle, not because you know you're going to get a reward the next time you, you pull the handle, because, but you do it because... You don't know. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. And it's very addictive. So when you finally do get it, you're like, oh, it's like very surprising. You get a little dopamine hit, right? And so when you post something on social media, right, you don't know what's going to get lots of likes. You may post something, you know, like this really nice food that you ate. One of your friends likes it. That one friend who just likes everything, you know? But maybe, I don't know, you, you post a, a stupid TikTok video and you're like going like this. And then before you know it, a thousand people have liked it. And you're like, what? It feels really good. It feels really good. And here's another part how it's a slot machine. You guys ever go to Instagram and you see those little like reels, right? And they keep showing the, those videos, right? So, like 90% of them are really dumb, right? It's just pointless, right? And you just scroll through them. And I've definitely done this. And you're like, stupid, 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 stupid. But every once in a while, oh, look at that cat. Oh, it's so cute, right? Every now and then, oh, little dopamine hit, right? Like every hundredth video is gold, right? And so you just keep scrolling, right? Keep refreshing, right? It is designed this way. And it's highly addictive, right? And so, friends, there is something going on where it is costing us something. Have you ever noticed why Instagram, why social media, why these things are free? You know why they're free? Because you're not the customer. You're the product, <laughs> right? The customer are the advertisers, right? They're the ones paying the money. And so, friends, there is a cost to this. And one of the things that, that I thought was very interesting, this is from somebody who predates cell phones, but Henry David Thoreau, who's very famous for his book Walden, where he goes out um, 
basically in the woods, and he lives in this cabin, and he lives his much simpler life. And so he, uh, Henry David Thoreau was doing this during a time of very rapid industrialization, and just the world was just starting to very quickly modernize, and he wanted to simplify his life. And there are a lot of people who are like, hey, you know, uh, Henry, why would you go out to this, this cabin and kind of remove yourself from society? Because in society, that's where things are happening, right? That's where people are making money, right? Don't you want to make money? And so this is what he said in response, um, at least in, in book form. He said, the cost of a thing is the amount of what I will call life, which is required to be exchanged for it immediately or in the long run, right? And so uh, this is what Cal Newport calls uh, Walden's, uh, sorry, Thoreau's new economy, right? Which is, you don't just measure what a, a, a thing's worth by how much it costs you, but how much life it requires of you. Does that make sense, right? So there's a lot of these things that we do on our phones, and they feel free, right? Because it doesn't cost you any money, but it may cost you a lot of time. It may cost you your attention, right? It may cost you something even more subtle. It's this room, this space in your life, the attention that is being colonized by your digital screen. So I already talked to you about that kind of picture of anxiety, right? That anxiety is on the rise since 2011. And anytime I look up a, uh, just, I want to get like a quick screen grab of, you know, um, just a Google image of anxiety, Right? I find a picture like this. If anyone is listening to this in podcast form, I have a picture of a woman and her hand is on her head and it's like she's nursing a headache, you know, and just, it's like this picture of just very visible anxiety. But friends, that's not what anxiety looks like for most of us, for most of us in modern times. This is what anxiety looks to us now. That's what it looks like now. Right? So this is what happens, friends. Anytime there is a threat that you uh, uh, detect in your life, right? And so this is the, the thing. I, I've made this distinction before. Anxiety is just unrealized fear, unlocalized fear. It's just fear that's out there, right? So fear is there's a lion or there's somebody with a knife and they're trying to kill you, right? And you're like, ah! that's fear, right? You have an object. Your bodies are designed to have a fear response that's good. Don't get eaten by the lion, right? God designed you this way. This is good, right? But this is the thing. You get all of these like chemicals that come into you when that happens, right? And they're getting you ready to run or to fight, right? Or to freeze if there's nothing else you can do. You just kind of play dead, right? One of these three responses, you are built for this, right? And the thing is that all of these things are kind of shooting into you. All of these, these chemicals like testosterone and, and cortisol and all these different things are coming into you and flooding you, right? And so the thing is, these things are good in the short term to help you run, to help you fight, to help you think in a certain way, to problem solve very, very quickly, right? And these things are good in short bursts. But the the thing that's supposed to happen is you run away from the lion or you defeat the lion, you kick it in the face and it runs away, and then (gasps) you relax, right? And then what happens? You come down. And your body starts to relax, and all the chemicals start to flood away, and then you get different chemicals that start to calm you down, right? And then you're brought back into, like, normal balance, right? That's what's supposed to happen. But what if there's a fear out there 
But the fear is, can never be cleared because it's just in your brain. It's just out there. It's just the fear of the unknown or the discomfort of just being quiet. Just any moment can be a moment to be like, hmm, something's wrong. Oh. And so you, what your body starts doing is it starts going into the same fear response that you would if there was a tiger or an attacker. But it's a milder fear response, of course. Right? You're not like, ha, ah, right? But have you ever noticed people, they're all antsy. They're like, hmm, right? When they're anxious, right? Why? Because your body's like, got to run, right? We got to do something. We got to fight, right? That's what's happening. It makes no sense, right? It makes no sense when it's just like, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable, right? But it makes sense if you understand how your body was designed, right? And so what's happening, friends, is that you have this fear response of like, like, like any kind of thing where you feel uncomfortable now gets detected by your mind as a threat. And your mind is trying to figure out, how do we clear this threat? What do we need to do, right? And so one of the things that we have learned to do is we have learned to distract ourselves, right? So it, it, this is going to sound kind of weird, right? But friends, kind of stick with me for a second because I think this point is very crucial. What happens is that whenever you have something uncomfortable, that, that like, like, like it may be very, very small, and then you run from it by going to a digital screen, you know, or, or thinking of something else, or blasting some music in your ears, or whatever it may be, right? What's happening is your mind catalogs that. This is what our brains do. They learn, right? And they're like, oh, that was something to be afraid of. This is what's happening, Right? And so the next time you feel uncomfortable, what does your brain do? They're like, oh, we were uncomfortable last time, right? And then last time we looked at a screen. Let's go look at a screen again, right? And it gets reinforced. So what your brain is learning the second time you do it, it's like, oh, there was something to be afraid of. There was something that made us vulnerable, right? There was a threat. And so you do it again. And then the third time, then the fourth time, then the hundredth time. And it just becomes any time you feel uncomfortable, any time there is a silence, you go for this, right? And you do it automatically, right? And so, friends, um, so what is the response to this? If you're starting to get convinced that maybe this is a problem, right, look at what God ends up doing. He says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. God's response was to isolate them right? Now, they weren't completely isolated, but he's like, you're not supposed to be around these people and around all of this stuff all of the time, right? Like, think about all of these people just gathered all in this tower all the time, just talking to each other. Hey, let's keep building. Let's keep building. Let's keep building. I know it's not a cell phone, right? But it's a much noisier life than maybe what God intended. And so God's like, no, no, no. I mean, you're going to use up all the natural resources in this area, right? This isn't good. You shouldn't all be in this area. Let's separate you. Let's spread you out a little bit, right? And I think in that, friends, is there's, there's this principle of solitude. Um, in this book, uh, Digital Minimalism, he uses a definition of solitude that he got from someone else. And it's a state in which your mind is free from input from other minds, Right? So it doesn't necessarily mean you're like completely physically isolated, 
but you're not getting input, right? You're not always just hearing things, whatever. This is another thing that a lot of us do, friends, myself included. Um, This is like the one day in the last three years that I haven't brought my uh, AirPods, but I usually bring them everywhere. And the thing with them is that a lot of times, sometimes they're just always in my ears, whether or not they're playing music, they can be at any moment. And for many of us, right, we are so uncomfortable with silence. We are so uncomfortable with our own thoughts. We always have to have music or someone talking or some kind of input, right? And so what, what Cal Newport thinks is that this is causing a, a very severe condition that he calls solitude deprivation, a state in which you spend close to zero time alone with your own thoughts and free from input from other minds, Uh, Blaise Pascal once said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And you might think that that's like a a kind of an exaggeration, but literally we can't sit alone with our thoughts anymore. In 2014, so this was, you know, eight years ago, it's probably worse now, but there was a a, a study that kind of got some uh, headlines because there are these people who were studying students and other people who lived around the University of Virginia And they were studying them to see um, if they would actually want to spend time alone. And so they would, like, isolate them. And they found that people got really, really uncomfortable. So they added this little tweak to the experiment, which was kind of weird. But they had people spend 15 minutes alone in a room, and there's only one thing in the room. And it was a buzzer where they could administer to themselves an electric shock. And what they found is that people were so uncomfortable being alone with their thoughts that they said that 67% of men would administer to themselves at least one electrical shock <laughs> during that 15 minutes. And they said that for women, I mean, women, I just, just come, come on. Women, maybe a little bit smarter than the guys, but it was 25% of the women. Still kind of high, right? And, and there was one guy who they said administered in 15 minutes 190 electrical shocks to himself. What is going on, guys? What is going on? We don't know how to be still, right? So, so this is what Cal Newport said. He said the urge to check Twitter or refresh Reddit or Instagram, it becomes a nervous twitch that shatters uninterrupted time into shards too small to support the presence necessary for an intentional life. And I would argue it's also something where we cannot support a life with God. You guys know the way scripture talks about the voice of God? Sometimes it describes the voice of God as a small whisper, a still small voice, right, that Elijah heard at the entrance of a cave, right? But imagine, friends, you're always hearing noise. You're always busy. Your mind is always doing things, and you never have an opportunity to hear that, right? We are crowding literally ourselves Right? The ability to kind of deal and cope with some of these stresses that many of us for thousands of years have learned how to do, right? To just sit alone with your thoughts and let them settle, right? But the moment it gets uncomfortable, we, we, we just plug something in, right? And, and Cal Newport says, we were not made, right? Or, or uh, this is a, a paraphrase, but we were not supposed to be plugged in all the time. That's not the way we were, we, we were uh, created, right? And so 
Uh, friends, I want to just uh, propose three real quick things, okay? So um, one thing that you can do if you want to start creating this space for God is practice putting your phone down or putting it away. I know this sounds so basic, right? But I'm telling you, you are going to grab it today. I guarantee you, at some point today, you're going to grab it and you're going to think about what I said. And you're going to think like, I don't remember grabbing my phone. When you remember that, I want you to do me a favor. Put it in your pocket, right? Or go put it in a closet or something, you know, in a drawer, right? Just for a moment, right? Just take a few moments to be still with your thoughts. It's going to be uncomfortable. I guarantee it's going to be uncomfortable, right? But after time, what you're going to find when you keep doing this more and more and more is you're going to retrain your brain to not grab for this at the first opportunity. You need to learn how to be uncomfortable again. You need to learn how to be bored again, right? You and I both, I'm telling you. I've been doing this myself. I'm not great at it, right? I still find myself grabbing my phone, especially when I get stressed, right? When I get anxious, it's, it's almost irresistible. And in those moments, you know, when I, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been on the phone for 30 minutes. I didn't even know I was doing it, right? I couldn't afford to do that. Just forgive yourself. It's okay. It happens, right? But maybe practice, like, you know, if you go out somewhere, just leave your phone at home. You don't need it all the time, right? If, if you're going to go someplace to just be with God, you know, put your phone somewhere in another room, right? Learn to put it away at times. Second thing is practice quiet times, right? And, and so, again, this is not necessarily the time where you're reading the Bible and, you know, praying and necessarily, th- those are good things. But just practice having more quiet time, right? Those times when you put down the phone, the times when you, you are just still and you're doing nothing. Right? You need that time. You need that time with your relationship with God. Right? Um, last thing is, uh, so if, if maybe that seems really daunting, you're like, Pastor Steve, that's not practical. Go for a walk. Right? Go for a walk with no music, no phone use. Just walk humbly with your God. Just walk to walk. Right? It's actually really enjoyable. I walk um, a lot. I walk a lot every day, um, several hours a day. And sometimes when I'm walking, there are times where I'm uh, listening to my phone. Uh, I'm listening to an audiobook. There's some, sometimes where I'm listening to praise, right? There's times where I'm playing Pokemon Go, I'm being honest. Right? <laughs> and then there are other times where I'm learning more and more to alternate during that time. You know, especially like one song ends. When that song ends, instead of trying to find another song, just no music. Let's, let's go 10 minutes, no music, right? Just walk. Just walk. Just let the thoughts be there. Right? Don't be afraid of them. Right? They'll settle. Um, friends, uh, I just want to close with, um, yeah, uh, th- th- this is going longer than I thought. So um, I'll just say, friends, that when, when I think God talks about, when Jesus talks about the good soil, um, I think in many ways, um, <laughs> if you look through this parable, a lot of the things that keep the seed grow- from growing are the distractions that we have in life, right? Like, like in one of the, the examples that Jesus gives with the sower and the seed, um, someone comes and snatches the seed, right? Like it doesn't get a chance to go in, right? Distraction, right? Um, it's, in some, it's like the busyness of life, the problems of life choke out that seed, right? There's all these different things that keep it from growing. But if we can hold it, right? This is what it says. If we can... Um, as for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This goes for the word of God. 
You know, there are many truths that God wants us to hold, but we can't hold it because we are so crowded with thoughts and noise all the time. Friends, I'm going to go into uh, our time of communion.